It's Friday night, and your work week is over. Get back and get the latest on the Indianapolis Colts. Jonathan Taylor, touchdown! The 10, the 5, a pick 6 for the Colts. Get up to speed on the Colts and the NFL, starting now. And he walks into the end zone. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. This is the Colts Happy Hour on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Brought to you by FanDuel. More ways to win with FanDuel Sportsbook. I'm John. I am so happy you decided to join us and hang with us. Colts Happy Hour here on 93.5107.5 The Fan. Gigi's Bar and Grill. This is the northeast side. We're off 71st and Graham. Bud Light Blue Friday. It is spectacular here. I'm telling you. Great food. Ice cold Bud Light. My man's got some wings over there that are going, eat me. Eat me. I can't. I burp. Eat me. They look good, man. They do. Colts happy hour as always. I would if I could, but I can't. Um, last night, 12-9 the final. The Colts moved to 2-2-1 and on the season and sit right now as it stands atop the AFC South. They beat the Broncos 12-9. No touchdown scored in what was, how should I put this, an interesting game to say the least. You know, in, in the show prior to this, my show, I should have given more props to both Deion Jackson and Phillip Lindsay. Combined, they put up over 100 yards in rushing. Deion Jackson had 62 on 13 carries. Philip Lindsay, the former Bronco, had 40 on 11 in the stead of one Jonathan Taylor last night. And Chase McLaughlin, four field goals. I thought Alec Pierce, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, was fantastic. And the one thing you did notice last night, and amidst all the negativity on how that game was played, you know, and how ultimately you saw on Amazon, Al Michaels, Kirk Herbstreet, clowned on it. Uh, the halftime, pregame, postgame show crew clowned on it. Basically, Football America was clowning on it last night. One thing you couldn't clown on is the effort and the results from Alec Pierce, the rookie wide receiver. And you saw, as much as I've been on Chris Ballard about the offensive line and the build of this team, you saw exactly why they felt the need to go out and get Stephon Gilmore. You talk about paying off big last night. They don't win that game without him. No way, shape, or form. And you could say, well, you know, Denver really screwed themselves. Russell Wilson was terrible. He screwed them. He was the reason why they lost. Fine. But you have to have somebody step up and make plays in that situation. Stephon Gilmore did. Do not lose sight of that. Big deal last night for real. Colts get a win. 12-9 was your final. All right, this week's burning question, courtesy of Casey Valier. The Colts made another change along that offensive line. I've been talking about that. Matt Pryor went to right tackle. Braden Smith from right tackle to right guard. And Bernard Ryman, the rookie, made his first career start at left tackle. The team allowed six sacks. Is this line a combination that can grow, or is there more changes need to be made uh, at JMV 107, I'll let you guys answer this. I pretty much know where you're going with the old burning question here because what they did last night didn't work. Six sacks, a couple more fumbles from Matt Ryan, a couple of interceptions from Matt Ryan. Despite all of that, they survived to win 12 to 9. At JMV 1070 for that reaction. A little bit earlier today, the head coach of the Colts, Frank Reich, he met with the media regarding last night's Thursday night standalone 12 9 win over the Broncos. This is how it sounds. Obviously happy to get the win, as we said last night, against a, a good opponent uh, in a primetime game, right? 
um, in, a, in a tough environment to play, but we found a way to get it done and very pleased with that. The grit, uh, the togetherness, the fight of the players, um, that's a lot to build off of. You know, have a chance to get through the film. Obviously, it was a late night, you know, when we got back, so haven't gotten through everything in all three phases, but, um, you know, had a chance to see enough on the offensive side to, you know, to acknowledge, obviously, the obvious that we need to continue to find ways to get better there. Um, just be more consistent, I think, reduce the number of negative plays that are killing drives. Um, I think the, that's the big thing there. And then, um, you know, obviously we have the weekend to recharge. Players have the weekend to recharge. So um, that, that's good for them. Uh, so we'll continue. But again, happy for this win, right? It's a big win. It's a big road win. And then, as you're aware, just as far as injuries, um, Naheem left the game with a concussion. X-rays on Quiddy's ankle are negative, but still about, but still evaluating the severity of that. So I'll open it up from there. Joel Erickson. Uh, Frank, Quiddy's uh, injury has been reported as a high ankle sprain. Is that accurate? And is IR a possibility? Still evaluating, Joel. Uh, like I said, was very pleased that the that the X-rays were negative. So uh, haven't had a chance to sit with the training staff or the docs yet at this point to to get a full description of the severity of the ankle. Bob Kravitz. Yeah, Frank, going back to last year, this is seven straight games where you guys have failed to score more than twenty points. As much success as you've had as a play caller, can play callers go into slumps? And do you feel that you are in one of those slumps right now? Well, we're obviously in a slump of scoring points, as you said, Bob. I mean, there's uh, the facts are the facts. So, um, and there's a lot of things that go into that. So, uh, play calling certainly one of them. Uh, you know, I'm always evaluating that, always looking at how to become, how to do a better job. Uh, obviously, I have a lot of years of play calling I'm, that I'm confident in. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not going to say that it's been perfect. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, so I can just I can just assure you that, you know, I look at every aspect of it. Thanks. Mike Chappell. Frank, in, in that vein, second game in a row, you guys switched up the offensive line and this w- with three players. Are you just sort of searching or is this something you're going to go forward with this group? Or Because, again, like, like you probably would admit until you get the offensive line fixed, and get consistent. It's going to be a tough sledding. Yeah, no, fair chap. I mean, it, it is the second week. The, I would say this, the first time we changed it up, it was really just a change at right guard. So, um, you know, which, which happens. So, uh, but anyway, but this was a big switch this last game. It was a big switch. Um, so we'll, we'll continue to reevaluate that. I have not even uh, had a chance to get with the staff yet and, and us talk through those kind of issues. We've just been talking through more of the, you know, the play-by-play, player-by-player, evaluating what happened in the game. George Bremer. Frank, the offensive line issues obviously would be frustrating under any circumstances, but does it add to it right now when you see guys like Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods, Mo Cox, some of those receivers are stepping up and, and, and starting to make big plays. Uh, does it make it even more frustrating that your line is making it hard to find consistency? Yeah, very excited about very excited about, right, we came into this year, um, and if I'm accentuating the positive, which, you know, you, you certainly want to do in a win, you got to acknowledge the negative and, and what needs to get better, but you want to accentuate the positive in a win, 
And that is, uh, our, you know, our young skilled players. I think we came into the year wondering if we had enough at that position. And I think we're starting to see that the, that we got a long way to go, but I think we're starting to see that the answer could be yes. The answer could be yes, that Alec Pierce could be as billed and, you know, uh, Pitt is as billed. He's a beast. He's a number one receiver. Um, he's our main guy. Alec is developing in a, a, a really good player. Um, Paris Campbell made a massive play in that drive at the end where Matt just threw him into look pass and he made the guy miss and got a 10 plus gain. That was a massive play on that drive, put us in field goal range. Um, you know, Ashton Doolin continues to make plays, you know, as a, as a significant role player, um, you know, the tight ends uh, as a pass catching group are, we feel it's a strong, it's an asset to our team. So those are, those are things that make me optimistic. Those are things that make me believe you know, that, that we can head in the right direction. Not to mention, you know, um, obviously, uh, you know, in Matt's situation, you know, it's been, we've had five games and now in four of these five games, even though we've struggled at times, um, in four of the five games, we've obviously been behind and he's brought us back into the game, giving us a chance to win. Of course, we won two of them, missed a field goal late in the one, um, you know, where we had a chance. So, um, what Matt is doing in the fourth quarter when it matters the most is also impressive. I think that's another positive to accentuate. JJ? Frank, how much additional self-scout can be done on this mini-buy uh, over the next couple of days? Yeah, we do uh, We do a ton of self-scout. I mean, week to week. I I don't think we could do any more than we do, honestly, JJ. Um, what like what it'll give me the opportunity to do. I'll spend the weekend in here, um, you know, looking at our stuff, evaluating our guys and evaluating myself. Hey, what can we do to get better? But then also you get a little bit more time to, Hey, look around the league. Who's hot in the league. Who's doing what offensively, you know, can you get one or two ideas somewhere that kind of fit into what you're doing? Or maybe there's something new. And we always look at that every week. we got a big team of people that look at that stuff. Um, but on a weekend like this, you certainly spend a little bit more time doing that. James Boyd. Frank, Matt's thrown a pick in four of the five games, um, seven picks in five games. Obviously, it's not all his fault, you know, with the way the offense is going, but how much responsibility does he bear in helping to right this ship? And how do you all kind of bridge that gap? Because it seems like in the fourth quarter, when you all are down or have been punched in the mouth, he – does not look like the quarterback that has been the, you know, the first three quarters prior. Yeah, no, you're right, James. I mean, uh, the quarterback, right, is always going to bear a lot of responsibility about, about that. Matt knows that he's, you know, bore that responsibility uh, for 15 years, right? Just as a head coach and play caller, you know, you bear responsibility. That's, that comes along with the territory. And, I mean, I'll continue to say this. The guy's unflappable. Um I wish you guys could be down there on the sideline and see him in the fourth quarter and say, well, why, why are we not like, well, yeah, but you know, I mean, there's just something unique about that. He comes alive. It's enough. He had another, he led us on another game winning drive. I think Conti told me that pass, that pass Brett Favre. I mean, you know, come on now, you know, we're talking about a quarterback who just passed Brett Favre for the most game winning drives. So this guy knows what he's doing. Um, And as you said, James, you know, some of the interceptions are on the quarterback. Some aren't. But as a quarterback, you take responsibility for it all. We have to get better as a team there. Bob Kravitz. 
Frank, not to be a smart aleck about it, but during during the game, did you ever take a step back and think to yourself, man, this is one bad offensive performance from both teams? Yeah, uh, that, that, that thought crossed my mind during that game. That thought crossed my mind during the game. I, you know, I, and um, you know, it goes in and out pretty quick, Bob. I mean, you know, you 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 stay focused, but you're like, my goodness, we are. You know, this is. You look up at the score and you think, I've not been in very many games like this. You know, um, I've not been in very many games like that. It was almost like that Houston game. You know, when we came when we came back and it ended in a tie and, and didn't know how to feel. It was like a little bit after that game last night, I didn't know how to feel. I know I should be I know I was happy because we won and I was happy and I am happy that we won. You know, but I also know uh that's not a good enough offensive performance. It was good enough last night. And I know nobody wants to hear that, but that's the facts. It was good enough last night. When it had to be Matt led us on two point scoring drives that won the game. And uh, and the defense obviously carried the day and had a dominant performance. But I, I literally didn't know how to feel. I knew it was I knew it was bad. I knew it was not a good game to watch or entertaining or low scoring game. But that's the NFL. I'm reminded when I was here one year with Peyton and the crew. You know, we had a six to three win in Cle- against Cleveland. Yeah. Um, you know, it was ugly, but it was six to three. You know, and we won the game. And so you got to take those. Okay. All right, we'll do a few more. Joel Erickson. Is, uh, is Dennis Kelly an option in the starting lineup? Okay. Um, I just heard you through Conti's phone. Um, is Dennis Kelly an option in the lineup? Uh, we're happy to have Dennis on the, on our roster. Um, he adds that veteran presence. We'll continue to evaluate that. He, you know, as he was coming off his injury in training camp, you know, you can see him getting more and more physically comfortable and comfortable in the system. So love that he's here. We'll continue to evaluate. Okay, we'll do two more. Kevin Bowen. Frank, there was a moment late last night where Matt uh, followed through and hit his wrist, it looked like, on somebody's helmet. He was kind of grimacing for a minute. Anything on that? Yeah, I haven't talked to – I haven't spoken with him this morning, Kevin. I don't think so. I mean, obviously, I talked to him after the game. I mean, that guy's tough as nails. But And you're right, there are a couple – you know, obviously, there were some bad plays, but he had a couple unbelievable throws, you know, under pressure. Um, like that. So, but I don't, I don't think there's anything negative from that, from the game. All right. And last one, Mike Chappell. Frank, I, with Naheem in, in protocol, and when you see a player wobble like that after a play, after the game, did you talk to him? Did he, I guess, was he okay? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, we saw him wobble right away and it was like, we were, all simultaneously on this, all the coaches simultaneously were on the sideline. He's out, you know, he's out. Um, they would come in at halftime and Naheem's apologizing to me. You know, he's apologizing to me, you know, right? This is the mindset, right? And because he felt great at halftime, he already felt great. Um, you, you know, so I, hey, you know, he, he obviously wanted to, I, you know, I probably shouldn't say he wanted to come back in and play. I mean, he wanted, he's like, I feel fine. He said, I've been hit way harder than that. I've been hit way harder than that. Um, but he's just, that's the top kind of competitor and warrior is right. And I think that's why, that's why there's been a lot of talk about as coaches, we got to do the right thing uh, because you have to protect players from themselves at times. And that, that, that's a, that's a perfect example, right. Of, you know, of, of an instance where, you know, you see him take a hit like he does, you know, 
what kind of competitor he is, and he wants to get back in the game. And he certainly seemed fine talking to him, seemed totally normal, but you've got to do the right thing. Frank Reich with the media earlier today on the Colts Happy Hour. Center Point Energy is the proud sponsor of the 2022 Coach of the Week program. This week's Coach of the Week is Brad Cease of Merrillville High School. Yeah, Northwest Indiana, the region, everybody. After his Pirates defeated conference rival Valparaiso 37, what is it, 37 and 1 since 2019? For the head coach, that's nice. 39-6, and six, two conference titles, three sectionals, three regional crowns. You're talking about a successful dude. That is it up in Maryville right now. To learn more about the program, please visit Colts.com slash high school football today. More of Colts Happy Hour still to come as we're live from Gigi's Bar and Grill with Bud Light on a Blue Friday. All you need to know, Rick Venturi goes inside football coming up on the other side. Colts Happy Hours, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. We now return to the Colts Happy Hour, an inside look at the Colts on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hey, welcome back to GG's Bar and Grill, northeast side at 71st and Graham Road, Bud Light Blue Friday. Got two more pair of Jaguars Colts tickets to give away. Of course, that game is at Lucas Oil Stadium coming up a week from Sunday. I'm going to be live at Buffalo Wild Wings at Avon. That is coming up on Monday for a Bud Light Blue Monday. That's Buffalo Wild Wings in Avon coming up on Monday. The Colts Audio Network includes podcasts, radio shows, and player interviews. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you can download podcasts. You can listen to SiriusXM on the mobile app, too, and search Colts. Listen to exclusive Colts radio audio content on demand and stay up to date on the Colts on your schedule. Do that right now with the Colts Audio Network. You're going to love this. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, and radio analyst Rick Venturi on what went down last night. Thursday night football in Denver. Fellas. All right. Thank you, JMV. This is the postgame feel of inside football here with Rick Venturi, and we're here to talk about the Colts' 12-9 slugfest win over the Denver Broncos, the Colts win in overtime in week five, and they improved to 2-2-1 two, two, and one on the season. And it was a late-night RV. The Colts arrived back in the Circle City about 5 a.m. I got to bed around 5.45, 6 o'clock. How you feeling, man? Any rest, or are you still dreaming about punts and sacks and you know three and outs there? <laughs> well, I actually did. I did. I, I hit my house. I hit my driveway at five thirty, and uh, I, I did get four hours of uninterrupted sleep. So that's going to get me through. I'll gas out tonight about <laughs> six o'clock. I'll be, I'll be watching Gunsmoke at seven and go out. So. <laughs> Hey, nothing better than a classic rerun of Gunsmoke, followed by Bonanza, followed by Bonanza. I know, but anyway, you know, thank thank God, thank God for Gilmore. That's all I can say. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about, good and bad. Colts get a win. You never apologize for a win. So. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows how ugly that game was. I mean, you (laughs) had seven field goals. You had a dozen punts, 25 third-down stops. You had four picks, six fumbles. Uh, It was the first game in NFL history, Rick. I think you talked about this on the plane. First game ever that pitted quarterbacks with at least four Pro Bowl appearances 
yet featured no touchdowns between Russell Wilson and Matt Ryan-led offenses. So you've had close to 24 hours, less than that, to think about this win for the Colts. Rick, do you feel better or, or worse about the performance in Week 5 after some reflection? You get a win, but still a ton of things to clean up yeah. and some, some big concerns on this team going forward into Week 6 against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, and you know, I you know, obviously the analyst in me and the coach in me, I, I have mixed emotions. Now, my number one emotion, though, is I am elated for the win. I mean, this was a season season saver. That Thursday night, you know, particularly Thursday night on the road, is just a freak show. I mean, it's a, it's a freak show for all of us, but much less the players. And it doesn't really matter, you know, how good it looks. You know, they don't give you points for a beautiful victory. They only give you points for the victory. And so in that sense, I'm really elated. I know how hard it is to win one game in the National Football League. I know more than anyone. I mean, it's just a fight, a dog fight. They never go as planned. You know, they're all different. And so, you know, I think I, I am elated from that standpoint that we now sit 2-2-1, two, two and one, you know, with uh, and we'll talk about this later, with the two biggest games of the season. The, the season will pivot on the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and the good news is getting out of there on Thursday, we have a few days, a, a day to rest, but then we have some days to fix some things. Now, I'm not overjoyed. I, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm very happy with the defensive performance, uh, really lights out uh, defensive victory and a special teams victory. Obviously, Mac, great performance. Um, Hawk had a great performance, and our coverage teams were terrific. I mean, you know, we knew we were really – Washington probably is their biggest threat to score, mm-hmm. and we had him bottled up and really beat the heck out of him. And then don't forget, I mean, this is a forgotten play in the midst of all this. Grover blocks that field goal, or this is a different game. You know, so, I mean, special teams, unbelievable. Now, I'm not overjoyed because, honestly – uh, it was a, not a very good offensive performance. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it just very difficult, and we're so flawed right now on offense uh, that it's it, it's hard to be overjoyed. I mean, we have so much to fix. You talked about the two quarterbacks. Well, <laughs> you know, Matt Ryan had a 20.2 QBR and Russell Wilson had a 59. I mean, so what it really looked like is it looked like the seniors tour, to tell you the truth. <laughs> now, the good news was, the good news was, is that Ryan, and we'll talk about this specifically, as always, does have the ability to play pretty good in that fourth quarter, right. uh, where Wilson did not. Wilson really, uh, between him and Hackett, uh, two of the dumbest um, game management deals I've ever seen in my life, just absolutely ridiculous to have the lead and know that we couldn't score a touchdown till Christmas and throw an interception in the end zone and then fourth and two, get in the gun and run the drop. I mean, you, the, the bad news is we're not going to play a lot more Denver's like that. I mean, they, right. one thing both teams confirmed last night, and this is the scary thing for me, is the Colts are 32nd in scoring at 13-8. And the, and the Broncos are 31. So, I mean, you know, that was pretty much confirmed last night. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the end, in the end, I, I'm elated because it is so hard to get a win. We got that win, you know, and at least for nine days, 
we are back in business. That's Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. And uh, as we stick on offense, Rick, let's bring up the elephant in the room. You talk about the sacks. Yeah. The offensive line allowing six more sacks on Thursday night. It's the third time this season that the Colts have allowed at least five sacks in a game. And they changed some things up. Braden Smith moving to right guard, replacing Will Fries, who is replacing Danny Pinter. Matt Pryor flipped over from left tackle to right tackle, and then rookie Bernard Ryman got his first NFL start at left tackle. Then the Colts had to play Danny Pinter at center when Ryan Kelly got hurt in the second quarter, so all kinds of movement along the offensive line last night. What did you make of, of the moves on a short week with no practice? That's the first part of it. And then the second part is what is now the best offensive line combination for the Colts trying to find some consistency and some reliability in protecting Matt Ryan. Even though I can't prove it statistically when you give up six sacks, I can't, I can't, I could easily say, boy, it's not worth a damn. Um, I actually, I actually like a lot of it that I think the toughest thing is, and you mentioned this here in your intro, the toughest thing was doing it on a short week. Um, when you do it on a short week, there's X amount of, uh, coordination and it's a lot of it is just physical feel it's not chalkboard uh you know how do you pick up a, a tackle and twist you know that's that you have to play together to do that you can't you, you know how to do it on the blackboard but it happens in milliseconds and you have to be able to do it um i i think you know with the exception of pinner because of the injury i mean the the the, the moves were made from from necessity i mean we've been awful we have been awful physically in perfect protection uh, we've been awful on blitz pickup. You know, I think we we got we've gotten a little better in blitz pickup uh, the last two weeks. That was horrendous in the first three weeks, but we are getting beat bad physically, and it isn't just the liabilities. Now, uh, you know, the first time they run a blitz, uh, Jewel comes in and he knocks Nelson into into next week. I mean, I just watched the the the, the sack reel, just absolutely knocked him into next week. Uh, you know Ryman is going to struggle. I mean, you know he was out. He was going to set a. He had more flags than the United Nations. You know to start the game, settle down in the second half. You know, but it, again, you're in your first start against the best edge rushers in the game in a very tough venue from the crowd standpoint, and we do nothing to help him. I mean, we we what the one time we helped him with Granson. <laughs> Chubb ran through both of them. I mean, it was like Granson wasn't even there, and that was the sack fumble. Uh, but we're up and down. Kelly, the first sack of the game comes right from Jones, right up the nose on Kelly's left shoulder. You know, later in the game, they run a tech stunt, and and you know they can't prior can't pass it off to uh, uh, to Braden. But see, that's that comes from not playing together, mm -hmm. and then later. Uh, when they started putting Chubb and um, and Browning together, that was our real demise because they were they were just running over us. I mean, and and Pryor couldn't Pryor couldn't take the inside move just like he can at left tackle. Now here's what I think. I you know I think basically the best thing you can do now is keep a unit together. I would make one more move. I would play Ryman, but the difference is, and I think this is a weakness. In Frank is he does not handle his liabilities. You cannot go into that game and know you're going to have Pryor on one edge and the rookie on the other edge and not nudge with the tight end, not chip with the back almost every single play. It's not like you do it once out of 20 times. I mean, 
that's coaching malpractice, in my opinion. And then these guys have to shore up. But I would I would stay with Ryman at left tackle because he has the best skill set, and I would help him as a rookie. I would you, obviously you stay with Nelson, but I'm telling you what, he is the biggest flop right now that we've had. Kelly's no better. And then I would have put Pryor, Matt, and I told you this before the game, I would have put Pryor at right guard and left Braden at right tackle because I don't think Pryor can hold up on the edge. I think when you get speedy edge rushers, it doesn't matter. And now with all these 3-4 defenses, you're getting a good edge guy both on the right side yeah. and the left side, and right. they're moving him around on third down. So it doesn't, you know, used to say, well, it's just the left tackle, but it's really the edge tackles. And so, and then you got to stay with that. You got to coach him. You got to get him together. Now, with a little bit longer week, that should help. But you got to be able to pass off stunts. I mean, and you can't pass off stunts unless you play together. So you, once you make the move, stay with it and make sure that you grow every single week. But, yeah. you know, r- right now, there's no question about it. The 21 sacks, countless hits. I mean, it is, it's, it's, it's record setting. I mean, it, it's like we, we've never seen that around here. And, you know, and obviously some of those players in there right now, Pro Bowl guys, they're, they're overrated. Now, whether or not they can recapture what, they, what we think they are, you know, that's one thing. But I would challenge them. I'd say right now you're the most overrated group of guys I've ever seen. Not good. That's where the Colts are at right now, and uh, the numbers bear it out. That's Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor. Let's switch over to the defense and talk about some positive yeah, things because the, the the defense was terrific, as you said. Let's been a, a fourth-quarter team all year. They didn't give up a touchdown. The Broncos were just 2-for-12 on third down. And, Rick, for me, it was the marquee players on defense yep. stepping up. You got Buckner, two yep. sacks. Gilmore had a pick, two passes defensed, had the game-winning play there in the end zone. Kenny Moore with some big tackles. He had a big pass breakup. Grover Stewart has been a stalwart uh, on the ground, stopping the rush. He had a, the big block field goal there in the second half. But it was the high-dollar guys. It was the marquee guys stepping up, and the Colts needed that on a short week, and they definitely got it from their marquee players on defense. Oh, Matt, you're so right. And I also think our marquee defensive coordinator, I thought that one thing that was really important, one thing where we weren't playing good defense, with the exception of Kansas City, was first half. I mean, we were ranked 31st, even though turnovers affected it. Yeah. But you're still 31st. I mean, that's that's still not good. I thought that Gus really was more aggressive early. I think, And I think that's a sign of good coaching that you, you say, okay, you know, this is a little bit of a problem. Let's jump start this thing. Let's get them fired up. Let's get them emotional. You know, sense of urgency. And there was a couple blitzes right in the first two series that were atypical of what we've been doing. And see, I like that because I think, all right, you're taking an approach. You're saying, okay, we're going to change this. And I, that's why I don't even mind the shakeup of the offensive line because at least you're you're telling your team we're going to fix this. We're going to do things to fix it. Now, where the Colts were great. In terms, they won situation. They won situational football, and it starts. You know, and you you hear me talk about this. I talked about it for my 27 years in the league. It's all about <clears throat> the red zone, offensively and defensively. And we were, and and we really held the Broncos 0 for 4 in the red zone, and that is huge. You know, when you you keep a team out of the end zone 0 for 4 in the red zone, you're not going to lose many games when you play that way. And then the other specialized situation was two for 12 on third down, which meant we got them off the field. We didn't let them ever have sustained drives. I mean, you know, their punter won his letter in one day. I mean, just basically with his repetitions. And then, of course, 
the big fourth and one, the fourth and one, you know, with the game on the line. Totally concur with you. Our big players, uh, our big players played good in big big games. That's a cliche, but it really does matter. Uh, Gilmore, what can you say? I mean, you know, if it's not for Gilmore, uh, I don't know. Despite everything else, Gilmore mm-hmm. still saves the day, and not only with the two big plays at the PBU and the pick, but he also, with one exception, kind of the fluke play, he really shut down Sutton. He, he and if you shut down Sutton with Denver. They have no pass offense, really. They really don't. You know, as long as you can keep uh, the rush on Wilson, they have none. And he did. He matched up, and that's the other thing Gus did well. He matched him up over there, and he stuffed him. I mean, he, he you know, he just he couldn't breathe. Actually, uh, Gilmore was all over him. Um, I, uh, Buckner again. That the, Buckner. Now this is probably the best game in a long time. I mean, he he dominated it with big plays. You know, two sacks. I mean, he was up in the backfield. Uh, the you know the big knockdown. I mean, that was a that was an NBA block shot. <laughs> and Kenny Kenny was outstanding. I mean, it's Kenny was back to Kenny. Kenny hasn't played as well early this season, but this was the Kenny Moore we know. Very good on setting the edge on the run. Two big plays in the back end. You know, and, and so I thought those you know those big plays and of course Grover really tough stuff the run. The blocked field goal is the game, really, if you think about it. No it's doubt. really the game. So, Absolutely. Again, our, that's our big four. And then, you know, and then we got, you know, we got good spot play out of Ngakwe. I think what they're doing is they're alternating uh, Dio and Ngakwe, using Dio a little bit more on first down, and he's flashing, and then that allows Ngakwe to come in on special eyes, and he flashed. So that was better. And, of course, we're having a great season out of Franklin. And then the young Thomas kid, we're going to get into that. But I mean, right. I mean, well, I mean that is that may be the the NFL surprise, no doubt. That the rest of the the rest of the world will know after last night. That's why a, a primetime game is so big for a team and a player. But again, as you said, I, I think you hit it, you nailed it. It's uh, you know our big players on defense really played well. There it is, Colt Tapio. That's Rick. That's Matt. I'm John. Caesar Sportsbook is a proud sports betting partner of the Indianapolis Colts. And I'll take you even further right here. A little bit more with CBS Sports' Ryan Wilson. It's coming up on the other side. That sounds like a Casey Valier-Ryan Wilson combination you guys are going to enjoy. Colts a 12-9 winner. Last night on Thursday Night Football, we're telling you all about it live from Gigi's Bar and Grill on a Friday night. A Bud Light Blue Friday, in fact, and a Colts happy hour. 93.5107 by the fan. We're talking all things Colts on the Colts happy hour heading into the weekend. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Each and every week, we do the Forum Credit Union Question of the Week, brought to you by Forum Credit Union. Check out the Fan Forum section of Colts.com today. You can interact with other fans online, post a topic, participate in various discussions regarding the Colts. That's Forum Credit Union, helping members live their financial dreams. 12-9 last night was that final score. Not a touchdown to be had anywhere but, hey, the Colts win 2-2-1 two, two on the season. A week from Sunday after some time off to hopefully get healthy, they get Jacksonville in a revenge game at Lucas Oil Stadium. Again, that is a week from Sunday. As I mentioned, too, we're live at Gigi's Bar and Grill on a Bud Light Blue Friday. We're here now on Monday, 
Buffalo Wild Wings at Avon. So anybody out in Hendricks County, in and around Avon, I'd love to see you out there. We'll have some more tickets to give away for, I believe, either the Jaguars-Colts game or maybe an upcoming Colts game even after that. But we got them for you coming up on Monday. That is a blue Monday with Bud Light. We're going to be live in Avon at Buffalo Wild Wings again coming up on Monday. Meantime, more on the NFL and more with Ryan Wilson of CBS. He and Casey Valle got together to talk up some football. And here we go now with Casey and Ryan on Colts Happy Hour, fellas. Thank you, JMV. We are joined by Ryan Wilson, who covers the NFL and the NFL draft for CBS Sports. Ryan, thank you so much for the time. How you doing? Uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm probably doing a little bit better than, than Frank Reich, who got the win, but I'm sure he's wondering where does he go from here because, uh, you know, that game could have gone either way, and, and both ways <laughs> felt like hard to watch if you were a fan on your couch trying to enjoy some football on Thursday night. Well, that's exactly where I'm going to start. I mean, 12-9 to victory in overtime on Thursday night football, not really what we were all expecting to see. But what were your biggest takeaways from watching that game from afar? Well, it's funny, um, you know, I do a podcast after the games with with, uh, my buddies at CBS, uh, John Breach and Will Brunson, and John Breach's dad uh, kicked for the Bengals back in the day, Jim Breach, the great Bengals kicker back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I asked, John, the question just asked me, and he said, you know what? The special teams was great. The putter <laughs> did his job. They blocked the kick against McManus to, to save those three points. Right. Uh, so those were the bright spots. Um, the defense got after Russ Wilson a little bit. Obviously, Steph Gilmore had the huge interception in the end zone. Um, that's a good development. And look, Frank Reich talked about it after the game. It's a win. I don't know what necessarily to make of it, but I'd rather be sitting here at 2-2-1 two, two, and one right now than – uh, then what's that? One, one, three, and one. It's hard to do the math with these guys. Right. Uh, so I, I think those are the positives. You, you, you went, you went on the road. They're the, the team at the top of the division. They all have two wins, Jacksonville, Tennessee, and Indianapolis. So you, you're in it if you can just figure it out. But I'm not sure how you figure it out at this point, four or five games into the season. Bernard Raymond, the rookie struggle, not necessarily surprised, rookie struggle all the time, but, but it, it almost felt, uh, hazardous to Matt Ryan's health at points during that game, the the, the you know the time that he did not have, didn't have to throw the ball. And finally, I'll say Alec Pierce. He he was a pleasant surprise. They, they forever needed a number two, and he feels like he's going to fill that role, which is great news once they get the offensive line sorted out. Now, there's a lot I want to dive into. I want to start with someone you just brought up in Alec Pierce. I know that one of the things you do cover is the NFL draft. It looks like Michael Pittman, he's kind of clear-cut number one receiver, and Alec Pierce is really sliding into that number two role. When you look at where he was you know, in the projection in the draft last year and kind of where he's performed, is he right on par with what you thought? The, here's the thing. It's interesting. Uh, some teams really liked him a lot, and some teams weren't certain if the skills that he exhibited at Cincinnati week in and week out, he was dominated, if those would necessarily transfer, translate right, right away. Um I remember talking to Sauce Gardner and, and Kobe Bryant at the Combine last year and moments after, a couple hours after Alec Pierce had the insane vertical and the insane 40 time, and they uh-huh. said, no, that's not a surprise to, to us. We saw that every single day in practice. That's what, about what we expected, and we're seeing that translate. I, I wasn't sure if he would consistently separate down the field based on what I saw at Cincinnati, but he, he's been um, some, someone that Matt Ryan can lead on and to trust a rookie at this point, this early in the season, says a lot about Alec Pierce, the, the football player. So I think it's it's turned out to be a, a good pick. And, you know, there's been some fans that have been frustrated with how some of these traffics have gone recently for the Colts. But I think this appears to be a good one because, as you know, you need to find someone to help Michael Pittman out. 
And, and I think that Alec Pierce can be that guy. I think Jelani Woods can be that guy at tight end uh, once he gets a little bit more experience as well. So those are good signs. Those are something else to, to, to point at and say, okay, here are reasons for optimism. And, oh, by the way, Jonathan Taylor didn't play last week. We'll be getting him back too. We're talking with Ryan Wilson of CBS Sports. Now, one of the guys that's throwing the football to Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman is Matt Ryan. He's definitely had some struggles early in the season. You, do you look at the struggles and say that they're all correctable? Well, you, you hope so, right? Uh, you, you hope that this isn't the case, that the, the Thursday night game was an exhibition between two quarterbacks who are now well past their prime. It certainly didn't feel like that a month ago going right. into the season with the optimism for both teams. I think the offensive line, again, that's something that you, you have to figure out how to, to duct tape that thing together because these were the concerns in Atlanta with Matt Ryan, at least, especially down the stretch of his career there when the Falcons weren't very good, is that he was running for his life every snap and no quarterback, and especially one who's in his mid to late 30s and, and not particularly mobile to start with, is going to have a lot of success right. when the offensive line can't block for him. So, yeah, I think it's correctable. I think he's better than Carson Wentz was a year ago, but that team a year ago – they were uh, uh, in incomprehensible loss to the Jaguars away from going to the playoffs. Uh, this team doesn't look like that. But, again, they're 2-2-1, two, two and one, and they're right at the top of the division. So a month into the season, figure some things out, however you have to do it, and, and hold on for dear life. Because if you can find a way to protect Matt Ryan, I, I think we'll see the guy – uh, that we saw in Atlanta and not the guy that we've seen for much of the first month of this season. We're talking with Ryan Wilson, who covers the NFL in the NFL draft for CBS Sports. Now swipping, switching over to the week slate here in week five, it's kind of an interesting thing. We've only got one game that features two teams with winning records with the Packers and the Giants. Really kind of shows you the parity of the NFL, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that game's in London, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. So you have, you have, you have to travel across the, the, the pond there to, to see it. Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting point, the parity. Uh, angle because I was thinking about that after the week four games had concluded, thinking there's it's hard to find a, a team that's truly and utterly dominant. Um, I mean, look, the, the Chiefs looked great the other night, but they also 11 days ago lost to the right. Colts. So th- there is no clear cut. The Eagles are a fun team. They were down 14-0 last week against the Jaguars and, and came back, and so they're the only undefeated team. But every other team, you look around, half the divisions, uh, the team at the top of the teams, plural at the top, uh, are 500. So uh, I think that is that is very telling, and in a lot of ways good for the NFL. Uh, sort of half joking that we're long gone are the days where the Peyton Manning and Tom Brady's of the world. You don't have to talk about well, this team is eleven zero. Are they going to go undefeated? And right. have those conversations t- towards November, December, which sort of got drawn out and became boring after a while. Now we're just left with the Eagles. I don't think anyone thinks they're going to go uh, undefeated, and everything else is trying to figure out. Okay, which team is really good based on their latest performance, which could have been a mediocre one, a great one, or a, a truly hard-to-watch one. It's been, as you know, so much up and down, so much variation in the way these teams have played. Now, you talk about the Eagles, the only left unbeaten team in the league. They made the big draft day trade, acquiring A.J. Brown from Tennessee to join him up with Devontae Smith and Jalen Hurts there. Are the Eagles quietly the best team in the NFL just outside the record, or is it just the record is what it is right now? They're definitely the best team in the NFC. Uh, I, I I still like the Bills and the Chiefs a lot, even though both those teams have one loss. But I think uh, A.J. Brown was a huge acquisition. Devontae Smith is obviously one of the best young wide receivers in the league. Jalen Hurts is, has evolved each year, and he's turning into something truly special. And the credit to Nick Sirianni for second-year head coach from going away from the offense last year for the first month of the season where they threw the ball what felt like 50 times a game to understanding what Jalen does well, having some balance on offense, having playmakers around him, having that offensive line, which we've talked about uh, some teams currently searching for, and then having a, an absolutely dominant defense at times that, that can get after it at all three levels. And 
you know, that, that that's a unicorn of a situation. But when you have it, you have to take advantage of it. And Sirianni's taking advantage of it. Hurts is taking advantage of his opportunity and absolutely balling out. But I think they're the best team in the NFC and, and probably top three overall. Uh, again, the Bills and Chiefs, it's hard for me to turn away from those guys. But Philadelphia ha- has earned all the respect they, they, they've gotten at this point. Well, final thing on the NFL before we dive into the draft real quick. The AFC South has been a wild division. The Colts currently tied at first at 2-2-1. and one. We've seen regression from the Titans and some progression from the Jags. How important for Trevor Lawrence was Doug Peterson higher, and is the Jags maybe the best team in this division? Doug Peterson might be the, the most important storyline that we don't talk a, a enough about as on the national level. Mm-hmm. Um, it also just reinforces what – Urban Meyer was or was not doing during his time in Jacksonville. It's it's literally night and day. So huge get for for Trevor Lawrence and his development. Um, there was some pushback, a lot of pushback, if we're being honest, about the signing of Christian Kirk and Zay Jones uh, to the money they, the deals they signed. They've been huge in terms of providing weapons. They're number one and number two in receptions for that team. Evan Ingram signed the one-year deal from the Giants when he underperformed as a tight end, is number three. They have James Robinson and Travis Etienne. Um, providing help in the backfield. Trevor looks like a first overall pick, and that defense is really, really good. I, I think they are the best team in that division. They probably play with the most consistency over uh, as we head into week five for the rest of the league. And it, it's it's an interesting thing to watch because typically the Jaguars have not been very good, right. at least in recent history. With Blake Bortles in 2017, they, they went to the AFC Championship game, but typically they, they're a three or four or five-win outfit. So this is something different. And again, credit to Peterson and, and Trevor Lawrence for sort of jump-starting this thing. Now that'll be the next team the Colts see as they come into town a week from Sunday. We're going to flip over to the NFL draft. Now, I know it's a little early, but I don't know if it's ever early when you talk about the NFL draft. There's already mock drafts out. I know you've already done a couple. When you look at where the college football season was prior to the year and to now, who is maybe your your biggest surprise for a guy that we're probably going to be talking about when April rolls around that maybe we weren't discussing before the college football season started? Well, Will Levis was on the radar for sure, the quarterback out of Kentucky, the Penn State transfer. Uh-huh. And he has not played great this season. He, he splashed, but and I've been saying it for a while. You talk to NFL teams, and they, they like all the tools that he has, both, both physically and, and above the neck. And I think he's going to be a guy that, that's going to get drafted pretty high, and it, it may surprise some people. This draft class at the quarterback position is much better than it was a year ago. And that makes things interesting for, for fans and media once we get closer to it. Uh, but a bigger surprise for me was, was Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Uh, yeah. He only attempted 60 passes, I think, last year. Emory Jones was obviously there, and he's since transferred out there on the state, I believe. But Anthony Richardson, that Utah game looked fantastic. Florida game looked abysmal. Tennessee game looked a little better. And, and I think if you can handle the roller coaster ride that is the Anthony Richardson experience, because he is short of the experience, he does so many things that no one else or very few people on planet Earth can do. Uh, I watch him, and he reminds me a little bit of uh, of Dante Culpepper, a little bit of, of Josh Allen in, in terms of the athleticism, the arm wow. strength, the ability to move around the pocket. And Josh Allen ran like a four eight or something, four seven five at the combine, uh, and he's outrunning people regularly on the on the um, once he gets outside. And right. Richardson's much the same way. I think he's a better athlete, but I, I think. He's just to keep an eye on him. Uh, he may return to school, which probably might be in his best interest. But if he comes out, there's going to be a team that's going to take a, a gamble on him. And if he hits, it's going to be Josh Allen type uh, athleticism on a weekly basis. It's just a matter of will you get a consistency, which is you know the same questions we had about Josh Allen for the first year and a half, two years of his career too. 
Ryan Wilson right there of CBS and Casey Vallier on Colts Happy Hour. Colts Happy Hour brought to you by Meyer. Meyer, the official super center of the Indianapolis Colts and a proud sponsor of hundreds of local sports teams across the Midwest. We've got to bridge the gap. We've got Pacers preseason hoopage top of the hour. Pacers in the Garden versus the Knicks preseason game two. That pregame coverage with Pat and the gang coming up at the top of the hour. This is the Colts pregame huddle. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. No show talks more about the Colts than this one. This is the Colts Happy Hour on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hey, welcome back. Gigi's Bar and Grill on a Bud Light Blue Friday. Going to thank everybody from Gigi's, from Bud Light Zing Distributing, for having us here, too. And um, it's been interesting, right, to the breakdown of the Colts. 12-9 victory, 2-2-1 two, two on the season now of the Colts. Really at this point in time until, of course, the weekend on Sunday when the rest of the AFC South plays uh, atop the AFC South, even playing at the level in which they did last night with that 12-9 win. So we'll have more on that coming up on Monday. Buffalo Wild Wings on Monday and Avon up next. Pacer pregame. You've got Pacers and the Knicks coming up next here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Enjoy.